Hello and welcome to this Nutmeg podcast, a version of the Scottish football magazine for your ears. I'm Daniel Gray and this time my guest is the writer Chris McQueer. Chris has emerged as something of a new literary sensation in the last couple of years. Dark and funny short story collections, Hings and HWFG have seen him acclaimed as one of Scottish writing's bright young things. A reminder that the Nutmeg podcast breezes from the ether every fortnight. Do have a look at our back catalogue. Please subscribe, review, give us some stars. To us, they're like those cheap and lovely medals you won as a kid. This podcast stands on the hunky shoulders of our print magazine. Issue 11 of Nutmeg is out now, now, very now. See nutmegmagazine.co.uk for more. Enough of that. Here's the podcast. Q-tape. Chris, it's great to have you here. What do you think to this studio? It's magic, mate. I am quite, I'm quite impressed. It's all right now. if you have some sort of weird attack and want to bang your head against the wall. <laughs> it's got these strange cushions all over the nice, wall. That's just cool. It's a good setup, man. I think you'd go slightly insane if you were in here all day. Maybe, mate. Possibly. Aye. But again, you'd be well catered for just uh, <laughs> heading at things. So, Chris, have you come far? What's your part of Glasgow? What's yeah. your Glasgow? It's my Glasgow. Um, I'm just in the East End. I'm just in Spring Boy, so it's, uh, I just brought the car in. Less than 10 minutes, and I'm here. A wee bit of double parking, no bother. <laughs> See what happens. It could, <laughs> it could get exciting. It's good. It could yeah, get like tasty that, outside. <laughs> <laughs> so were Celtic the natural team to support in that part of town? Uh, I, like, well, I grew up in uh, Gothamlock, and it is, it's a kind of Celtic back of the city. Like, everybody run about there. I was a Celtic fan, and then... My mum and my auntie both worked at Celtic Park, so they were done like hospitality, and then my auntie did like admin and stuff as well. So like, I was just always running about Celtic. Do you know what I mean? I'd go down with my granddad to pick up my mum and stuff, and I'd be like hanging about in the foyer at Celtic Park, like, looking for players and that. So I was oh, just always brilliant. running about Celtic, yeah. So, but uh, my granny is a Rangers fan, so I think part of me being a Celtic fan is maybe just to like, spite her. A bit of rebellion. Just, aye, man. Just cause, sorry. <laughs> I want to go back to having relatives working in a football. That means they were on aye. the same payroll as the players. That's quite cool, isn't it? Aye. It's tremendous. It's cool. My favourite thing is I've got a picture uh, in the house and it's me, my mum and Paolo Di Canio in South, at Celtic Park, mate. That's... Before the racist years. Before that, mate, aye. Before you get cancelled, aye. <laughs> <laughs> is he blotted out in the photo now? <laughs> so getting to hang around an empty football ground, that's a bit of a treat to me. I, I have, it, I have a weird thing about that. Aye, I loved it, mate. I loved that, aye. I was recently in Dumfries and took the aye. town, and a lot of lower division grounds you can just walk in. Aye. And just mess around for the afternoon. Brilliant, mate. Seems a bit lonely and weird now that I'm saying it out loud. It's quite a nice way to spend a, a day. Aye, it's just free. <laughs> Take I'm a ball. Sure, I'm sure it is, mate. I'm sure it's quite romantic and stuff. And quite nice, mate. If you're into football and that, it's going to be, you would like that. I'd quite like it. So, were mm. your earliest football memories of hanging about the ground, or had you already been to to matches what was your first time probably um, this is one of my, my favourite claims to fame but um, because my mum and my auntie worked at Celtic Park they were able to get me in the Celtic catalogue so it's like season 95-96 I'm modelling the Celtic third kit next that's to Simon Donnelly <laughs> how good is that mate that's incredible <laughs> so um, we, we will talk about your writing career which I, I think has got a huge future but you've already peaked. I know, at mate. Three. Where do you go for them, mate? I know. <laughs> Where do you go for them, mate? I know. And I remember that day because, like, so I go at the full strip to like where on the pitch. So I'm like, sitting on a football on the pitch, getting pictures took. And I remember 
I then had to like, hand back the strip. Like, I thought I, had, I would get to keep it, and I wasn't allowed to keep it, and it put me in a right stinky <laughs> mood. I'd still and be in the mood now. I'm still annoyed about it. This is like, um, like during like, Fergus McCandy's like, proper penny pinching. So, I mean, I like to think I played my part in saving Celtic by not taking the strip. <laughs> <laughs> so if anyone wants to send you a child-sized kit from 1996, that sounds weird. It's definitely the start of a story in there somewhere. That's an incredible first memory. Uh, unique man. almost. <laughs> and so you translated that into going to games. Did you? Was that many years later or did you start going? It was, I kid? was saying... Um, I think 13, 14 was when I started going to the games. First game I went to, I think, um, was we played Aberdeen. It was like a Wednesday night. We got beat 2-1 at Celtic Park. I remember John Hartson scored, but it was just a horrible game. So it was like just one of the ones you just knew we weren't going to win it. It was a horrible atmosphere on the ground. It was horrible, man. But um, it's been quite good. I've had a season ticket the last two years. But yeah, glory hunter, you know what I mean? But it's been good, mate. Times are good now. So Yeah, absolutely. So you started going after the... Seville and all the stories of Aye. Seville. Mm-hmm. When how many Celtic fans were there? Is it seven million? Aye, <laughs> <laughs> man. Aye, man. That was a great time to be a Celtic fan. That was brilliant. I remember just being totally like, swept away. I, I would have been Seville 2002, 2003. I'd been like 11, 12. Mm. So it just like, when football is just your whole world at that age. It absolutely is, it isn't it? The proper caught up in it. It was amazing. Teenage so was, years. And the, have you been at many of the uh, to use the great cliche used about Anfield and Parkhead, great European nights. I've no mate, no, I've no man. Because um, it's only in the last couple of years you've been able to start going regularly, I, and, and there haven't been so many. Oh, we're so bad in Europe, I know, mate. Some great <laughs> European light shows, though. Aye, aye, that's course. true, mate. I've seen the disco lights, aye, so that makes up for it. Right? <laughs> it does. It's tremendous. <laughs> so your first Celtic manager was probably Gordon Strachan. Uh, Martin O'Neill. Was, oh, so you uh, went uh, earlier Martin than that, O'Neill, yeah. I, um, then into Gordon Strachan. I, um, what are your feelings about the man that is Gordon Strachan? Uh, I don't. I think I remember watching Celtic back then, and like after Martin O'Neill, it was like I don't know. It was just he was Martin O'Neill. He was God. You know, mm. won the treble and you had Henry Larson, and then you know, we got to Seville, and then it's right. It's here's Gordon Strachan, and there's hardly any money to spend. So here's you know we've got to replace Henry Larson with Henri Camara on loan for Wolves. You know, that's the kind of, that's what it felt like. It was a wee bit underwhelming, but, um, yeah, indeed, I quite liked him. I was just religiously playing four four two. I quite liked that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it gives you a crumb of comfort in a, mm-hmm. a, a, a difficult world of uncertainty. You're going to be playing the same formation every week. <laughs> and then after Strachan, mm-hmm. a Middlesbrough hero, my mm-hmm. own hero, in fact, Tony Mowbray, oh, short-lived. I know, man, that was grim, I <sighs> Scrum, mate. That's all I'm getting. Aye. They were dark days, man. Then obviously getting beat off St. Marin. Was it 4 0? Couldn't believe what I've seen, man. I, I remember. I just I wept for wept for Mogger. <laughs> well, the main reason I got you here, apart from to talk about Celtic, is you are the most brilliant writer, and I hope people after this podcast look up your work. Oh, cheers, so I'd, I'd like you to read something to us. Mm-hmm. Preferably something that you've written, not just I like something <laughs> off the internet. Just read a Wikipedia page about something. <laughs> no, tell us what you're going to read and, and then fire away. Aye, cool. Um, so the first story I'm going to read is it's a wee story that's based on my time. I used to work in a sports shop before I um, started writing. This is based on the time that I served. I used to work. I used to like, football, but this was what I kind of served. That was my thing. And um, I served this guy and his wee boy. 
and the guy just hit the wee boy with the most perfect one-liner I'd ever heard. And I was like, it just stuck with me, so I wrote a wee story about it. Um, it's on my phone, I just need to find it. It's bear with me. That's quite right. This is the world of the modern writer. This is why I'm a dinosaur writer already. As we sit, I must tell all of, all three of our listeners that I have a, an old ledger, a dusty ledger in front of me with my questions on. And Chris, the young whippersnapper writer that will overtake us all, is reading from his phone. This is how they do it now. Extraordinary. Can I get a second? You've been proved right, mate, so... <laughs> do you want to go outside and get a signal and then come oh, yeah, back? I think I need to. Sorry, <laughs> well, I'm, leaving, I'm leaving this in now. Let's go. Right, so this is uh, it's a wee story. It's called Chris Packets. So imagine this is me telling you this story, maybe thirty years from now. See, years ago, right, I worked in a sports shop. I mostly worked in the football bit, but. One day this guy comes in with his wee boy. The wee boy must be about seven or eight. They pick a pair of boots and I go and get them for them. When I come back out, the wee boy says to his da, Da, see in the old days, did, did players wear football boots? I gave a wee laugh. It was a funny thing for a wee boy to say, but his dad didn't even crack a smile. I thought, maybe he's annoyed at me laughing at his wee boy asking such a stupid question. But then he winks at me. No, son, the da said. See, back in the day, they just had to wear empty crisp packets on their feet. Aye, that's right, I chimed in. This was my time to shine. I loved having a bit of part of the customers. See, back in the day, see that water with the football boots on it? That was just empty packets of crisps. Monster Munch, Quavers, Skips, you name it, wee man. The wee boy nodded along, then he looked at his dad for reassurance. See, it's true, the dad said. Listen to the man. The wee boy shrugged and tried on his new boots. I said cheerio to them on the way out the door, and the dad gave me another wink and a daft smile as if to say, Ugh, Wayne's I served that guy and his wee boy a few, more, a few more times over the years up until I left. The last I'd heard, the wee boy was playing with under-16s at Hamilton Ackies. I never got his name though, I always regretted that, you know, I always regretted no asking. I could have kept, kept a lookout for him, followed his career, if he ever did make it as a professional that is. Now over the years, the guy and his wee boy slipped from my memory, I had completely forgotten all about them. Right up until the other day, that is. Now, it's been 20-odd years since I last served that wee boy, and I found out the other day that he did make it as a professional. Can you believe that? He's only just retired, and now he's doing a bit of media work. He's a pundit talking about Scottish football in the BBC. You know how I know it was that wee boy that I served all the years ago? Because the poor, poor guy made an absolute titty himself on the telly, and I've got to take the blame for it. You see, he's own waffling about some young Celtic player who's made the breakthrough into the first team, an old, old-fashioned kind of wing. It reminds me of Paddy McCourt a wee bit. Anyway, this poor guy working as a pundit, he goes like that. Oh, he's a brilliant young talent, huh? He's a real throwback, isn't he? And he looks to his colleagues for reassurance, and they nod along in agreement. Ah, he's like, yeah, he's like something for the 60s, isn't he? Another pundit, Michael Stewart, says. Exactly, says the poor guy. For back in the days when players wore crisp packets on their feet, he looks for approval for the other guys in the studio. But the other guys just look at each other and then at the camera with wee smucks on their faces. Eh, d- what do you mean, mate? Jonathan Sutherland asks him. Well, like, eh, poor guy's face is all red now. Like, eh, look, back in the day before before football boots were, eh, invented, football players wore crisp packets on their feet. I, I, I thought everybody knew that. Who told you that? Michael Stewart inquires. My dad, I think a guy in a shop said it to me as well. That was me away, man. Hooting and hollering, roaring and greeting. Amazing. Poor daft bastard. 
<laughs> Cheers. <laughs> so in terms of the writing career, were you always a kid scribbling on bits of paper, ideas at the back of the class, or is this a recent thing? It's, it's a kind of recent thing. Um, I've al- always been a big reader. If I was a wee boy, I was al- always, always had a book on the go, and it was always in the back of my mind to try writing. But for whatever reason, I just never carried through with it. So, um, like, when you studied English at school and stuff, they would get you to do a wee bit of creative writing. And I, th- I thought, you know, I quite enjoyed it. I thought I was quite good at it. But um, they kind of battle that creativity at school, you know what I mean? I wasn't getting to write about what I wanted to write about. It was just kind of, here's your uh, assessment. Here's what you need to write to pass the exam. Just go and do that. So it was, um, it never really struck me as something that I would do outside of school. And then... I don't know, it just it was always there in the back of my mind, like just get a go, just get a go. But it took me until I was like twenty four, twenty five. And then just one day I just thought, Fuck, why no? Just get a go. And I sat down and wrote a wee short story. And I just I found that I really enjoyed it. And I was like, oh, this is this is good fun, like I, I really like doing this. And I just kept writing. That was it. Just just kept doing it. <laughs> it's not something anyone ever suggests to you really when you're from a fairly normal background or I aye, find anyway. I need to say to you, or you could be a writer if you wanted. You just you can be a joiner, you can be an electrician, or you can... I don't know. <laughs> and we've talked before, and I'm wondering if you're still the same, because it's a few months since I last saw you. Mm-hmm. When someone says what, what you do, I still don't go... I still feel really dodgy aye. saying I'm a writer. I, I, self- I just feel like an arse. Do you still aye, feel mate. like that? Big time, man. Big time. I avoid, avoid doing it. So I do, let's see if I get a taxi anywhere. Obviously, that's the chat. No, I mean, you start, he'll go, oh, what do you do for a living? I just say, I work in a shop. Like, I just tell them I still work in the sports shop. Just... I don't know, I feel a bit plancy almost, but I should be proud of it. You should it's be, good, but it's, good it's fun, easy but, for me to say I, um, I feel the same about it, I and I don't know what... I actually hope it never changes, cause maybe that's when you become an arsehole. Maybe me, aye, <laughs> maybe me. That's a good shout, aye. So. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't, doesn't um, seem to, to come easily. And so, carrying on with the Celtic stuff, the aye. Neil Lennon years, which have now begun again, whether they'll be I know, years I know, or not. Are you, are you pleased <laughs> Pleased to have him back? I'm quite pleased. I quite liked Neil, Neil Lennon. He was, um, I just like how much of a firebrand he is and how intimate he is, how much he seems to feel for Celtic. And I quite like it. It's quite, quite good fun. Aye. So I think he comes across as extremely intelligent. And mm-hmm. I'd like to see him in other spheres, actually. I'd like aye, to see aye, him aye. on other stuff. Mm-hmm. I'd like him to write short stories. <laughs> but he also feels it's very passionate football, isn't it? And aye, he, aye, he, aye. he really feels mm-hmm. it. I, think, I, I, like, I liked that. Aye, a definitely. Lot. And what about the Ronnie Diley? It's great to have a manager called Ronnie. Aye. That's a great name. <laughs> Aye. Um, I don't know. Ronnie Diley was frustrating because I think everybody could see what he wanted to do with Celtic. He could see the style of football he was got, he wanted to play and it just never never quite worked. Um, and I don't know whether that was done to Because there's a lot of talk in there about the kind of Scottish contingent. They didn't really take to him, how he changed their diet and stuff. And You only look at the difference between you know Scott Brown under Ronnie Diley and then Scott Brown under Brendan Rodgers, like a completely different player, do you know what I mean? It's weird, but um, I don't know. I, I always felt to me, like, once, you know, Rangers like, started again in the third division, like, the Celtic board knew, right, we can just fucking save a few quid here over the next few years. Get Ronnie Dylan, he's the cheap option. He'll maybe, he won't demand that much funds. We can just coast, we can just win the league until Rangers come back and then we'll take it for there. That's what it kind of felt like to me, so. But uh, he seemed like a nice guy, huh? Yeah, Aye. nice guy, nice guy Ronnie. He's <laughs> seen quite a wholesome man. <laughs> Who have been over the years your favourite players from right from that kid before you started going mm-hmm. to recent times? I um for being a wee boy and just watching Celtic, yeah, Miravchik, obviously, he was 
a big Celtic hero, and then obviously Larson, Sutton, Hartson, Petrov, Lambert, Lennon. That whole team was just amazing. Um, I think, obviously, growing up under the kind of Martin and Neil era, Henry Larson's just, mm. he's the boy, you know what I mean? He's amazing. Um, I love David, David Priest wrote an article about Larson for um, Monday Owl magazine. That was amazing. So it was, that was good. Because obviously he played against them and he just, Henry Larson just scored against them every time. So yeah. <laughs> it was really good. Heroes are really important when you're growing up. The posters on your walls, mm. were they mainly footballers? It was all footballers. Yeah. It was all footballers, man. Um, I used to get like, Match magazine. I'd like flick through it looking for the best posters. So I'd like Craig Bellamy in my ball as well for a while. And the Brendan Rodgers years over, mm-hmm. as we speak, a couple of, oh, a week ago, mm-hmm. during that long, unbeaten run, 69 games, I've always wondered this about successful teams and supporters of them. Does it get boring? Doesn't it get boring, no. Um, never get tired of watching Celtic when it's brilliant, man. Ah, you could, you could feel, I think, sometimes at Celtic Park, you know, maybe... It would get to like 50 minutes into a game and it was nothing each and you could feel the atmosphere like everybody was oh come on man like, it wouldn't be like that if we didn't have that unbeaten run everybody was just so used to winning and so used to us being ahead that it was quite weird and it was, you could tell we were, we were spoiled do you know what I mean we were quite petulant in the stands but. <laughs> and what about football now who do you go with who do you sit with I go I've got a season ticket with my cousin who's 14 so me and him go and it's brilliant because he's just He's at the perfect Seen age that for that. Aye, again. Aye, it's just this infectious man. It's brilliant. Have you had a horrible moment yet, which I had recently, where you don't know some of the songs and the kid next to you knows a new song? No, yet, mate. No, it's, no, it's yet. An awful lot. <laughs> <Aye>. <laughs> just because I always remember my dad going, "What are they singing? What are they singing?" Aye, and that's me now. It's horrible. Oh, mate, I know. <laughs> it's it was really good. Um, we were at the Valencia game, so we sat up in the. So up in the Jockstein upper, so it's like we kind of it's like a wee splinter cell for the Goon Brigade, just called Boys, the Boys, and uh, so like, we were they had like a wee display for the Valencia game, and that's like, the first time we'd been involved in like kind of like tifo type thing and stuff. So that was amazing. That was really nice. And then seeing my wee cousin, he was just loving it. it was that just, is great. It's seeing amazing, mate. Aye. Reversing some years mm-hmm. and seeing how you felt, and still do aye, now, obviously. Aye, it's but brilliant, man. I was. This was a. It was a teenager next to me when I was hearing the new, new Middlesbrough songs that I couldn't believe I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And just to compound my misery, when we scored, and knocked my own glasses off my face. Oh, nice, mate. <laughs> right down the gangway, I was on the end seat, and he just looked at me with so much pity. <laughs> I thought maybe it's time to stop going. Oh, Daniel, mate. See, this is the thing going on your own. I often go, aye. my mates sit at the other end but I mm-hmm. want to be among the noise pretending I know all the words mm-hmm. <laughs> I go to so much of my football on the own going on my own mm-hmm. for writing purposes aye, aye, aye. it can be very humiliating aye <laughs> have you been on your own no yet no yet no yet you must... my cousin he's just like, religiously goes like he will go no matter what like, and what's the kind <laughs> of pre-match routine I love a pre-match routine and a ritual and a superstition it's good that he stays quite a bit away from me so I'll go and pick him up he stays in East Coast Ride so we maybe get like in a half an hour 45 minute drive to Celtic Park after I pick him up so we'll have the like Clyde one phone in on and we just kind of like we argue like our opposing views and stuff and then we listen to what the callers are saying and then we'll talk about that and dissect it it's brilliant man it's great fun and then they do kind of like the like beat the pundit they ask questions and we try and beat each other it's brilliant mate oh I love it, it's mate. radio I love outside it, the radio it's, it's meta <laughs> is that what it is <laughs> <laughs> I've just pretended I'm really clever I quite enjoy it <laughs> I want to ask you to read again for us and mm-hmm. by way of context you and I met at a nutmeg event during Book Week Scotland, in we which did. four or five panellists argued who was the greatest Scottish football rebel of all time. Mm-hmm. Pat Nevin argued for Brian McClare. Mm-hmm. We had an argument for Rose Riley, mm-hmm. who in fact won, and rightly so, I would right. say, in the end. Mm-hmm. And Duncan Ferguson 
was argued for. So some fairly ah, interesting yeah. mm-hmm. choices. But tell us who you chose and read your piece from the match, <laughs> which was just pipped at the post by Rose Riley. I know. Um, I, my choice for my favourite football rebel, it's maybe what made me too popular among Celtic fans, but my favourite football rebel was Craig Levine. <laughs> because um, I just love his whole Panamanian villain persona just now. I think he's amazing. So um, I wrote a wee piece to read at that event and it was called A Love Letter to Craig Levine. Uh, again, I'm just waiting on it loading. I think I'm going to go to say it again. It's alright. <laughs> Back on it. Aye, cool. So this is my love letter to Craig Levine. Being a Celtic fan, when I was asked to choose my favourite rebel footballer, my first thought was immediately and perhaps obviously Anthony Stokes, the son of a man who was ordered to take down a 40-foot banner barring the Queen for his pub. I was then informed that it was rebel in a very different sense of the word, and they also had to be Scottish. So I set out some criteria for myself. I thought to myself, right, has to be a player that I grew up watching, and preferably a Celtic player. So I thought about the great Scottish players I grew up idolising. So to start with, there was Paul McStay and Jackie McNamara. Now I read up about the two of them to see if there was anything remotely rebellious in their past, any mad stories, etc. that jumped out and marked them as a rebel, but I couldn't find much at all. Although I didn't realise that Jackie McNamara Sr. was a card-carrying communist who used to sell the Soviet Weekly around Easterhouse. I thought he might be a good choice, but he didn't quite fit my criteria. So then I thought more about the more recent Scottish players, guys like Paul Lambert, but there's nothing remotely rebellious about Paul Lambert. He looks like the only luxury he'd treat himself to of his wages would be Findus Crispy Pancakes or something. I thought about maybe somebody who doesn't quite fit into the mould of what a Scottish football player should be like, a player like Callum McGregor. Technically gifted, fleet-footed, quite a continental-type player, but that seemed a wee bit dull. And then I realised who the ultimate Scottish football rebel is. He's not a player I grew up watching, but he's a manager. He's somebody who's been bringing excitement, wind-ups, and most importantly, patter to the Scottish game on a highly consistent basis recently. And that man is Craig Levine. I'm expecting some stick for this, given the bad blood between him and supporters of my team, but hear me out. This is my love letter to Craig Levine. The Craig Levine I remember from my youth, staring back at me from my Panini sticker album. Specky, stupid, gormless manager of hearts and his big daft Reebok trackie on the touchline. I've got a pile of doublers with his face on them. I hate him. He goes to Leicester City and he makes an arse at it, confirming my suspicions that he is in fact an absolutely rotten manager. That's what you get for being in every packet of football stickers that I have a boat. He's sacked and he's out of work for ages. Craig Levine slips from my mind. Then he goes to Wraith Rovers. I'm a fan of an old firm team, so anything out with the tap flight might as well be Highland League football to me. So because of this, Craig Levine just does not exist to me. He's a half-remembered spectre, trying to skulk his way back into my mind. But only a month and a bit later, he goes to Dundee United. Now I'm a wee bit older now, too old for sticker books, so I've given up on hating him for appearing in every packet. I quite like this new version of Craig Levine. His Dundee United team are a decent wee outfit, and he's even been accusing refs of being biased towards Rangers, a sentiment I used to echo being very much a budding internet bampot. Now it's 2009 and he's a Scotland manager. He can't be any worse than George Burley, so let's see how this goes. No much changes, same old Scotland, not any worse than before, but they're no much better. Hold on, wait a minute. He's no playing any strikers. An experiment gone wrong, this is it. Craig Levine has snapped. Scotland are shite, but we're about to usher in a new age, a glorious golden era of patter. Craig Levine is about to be reborn. He sits back in his office in Hamden, feet up on the table, smoking a cigar. Who would be the ultimate patter call-up? He muses to himself after being humped 5 wana for America. We'll give that guy at Rangers a shout, that, that boy, Ian Black, the painter and decorator. Give him a shout, he, gives, he says to his assistant. He's sacked, but that's alright. Levine knows what he's doing. 
and away he goes, like a caterpillar about to settle down into its pupa. For two years, Craig Levine is nowhere to be seen. Then he's back at Hearts as director of football. Robbie Nielsen leaves. Craig Levine sifts through a pile of CVs trying to select a replacement. Too qualified, he says, tossing one after the other into the bin. Too much experience. Win ratio, too high. And then, aha, he'll day. Only experience is from playing football manager. A wet wipe disguised as a human being. Ian Cathro, welcome to Hearts. Craig Levine knows what he's doing here. He's setting all this up for his own return to management. Cathro flops spectacularly, just as Craig predicted. The stage is set. The butterfly emerges for the chrysalis. Welcome Levine 2.0. This isn't the Craig Levine for my youth, the laughingstock for Leicester City. This isn't just a manager. This looks like a loose cannon cop on the edge. A grizzled detective for an airport crime novel. He's here to do two things, wind folk up and deliver the power. Mince his words, no chance. Michael Stewart tries to slag him, but if you come for the king, you better not miss. It's personal with Michael, says Levine. I don't like him, and I hear he doesn't like me. He goes on, talking about when he signed Stewart for the club on loan in 2004 with Man United covering his wages. We had to put something in the contract, so it was £1 a week, Levine says. And without doubt, it was the worst value for money I have ever had from any player, and that is a fact. He ends Celtic's 69-game unbeaten run with a wry smile. He wants to put Hibs back in their place and restore the natural order. He thinks everybody should get a little bit more protection for Scott Brown. He refuses to cut the grass. He knows how to beat my team, but in the process, he stole my heart. And the immortal words of the big man. Regrets? No, it's a good laugh, isn't it? Cheers. <laughs> Glorious. As I say, pipped on the night. And if it hadn't been Rose Riley, it, sh- it should have won. It was an unexpected <laughs> choice, but a brilliant one. What about your playing careers? It were early memories of, of playing in Oof. the street on the red ash. What was it Aye, for you? Man. Uh, we used to, it was like a block of flats I grew up in. So it was like, it was like a big long row of flats in between it. It was like in a, like in a gable end, like in a lane between it. So um, we just used to play football in there on like a really narrow pitch almost. Um, and then, but I wasn't, I was never very good at football, mate. It's a kind of secret shame. I just wasn't <laughs> that good. Love football. And everybody minds that love football seemed to be good at it, but I just wasn't. I don't know. I just couldn't get it. And, um, but I kept going, mate. I was, you know, I was determined to try and keep up everybody else, mate. I was always, 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 always built for playing. Get a wee bit older. I started playing fives in that. Um, and then recently, I got the chance to play for Celtic in like a kind of charity game. So it was like Celtic Rangers charity game, and it was oh, it was the, it was simultaneously the best day of my life and the worst day of my life because I was in the same team. It's like it was like me, Tommy Sheridan, uh, Rudy Vata, Simon Donnelly, um, and just Rudy Vata just absolutely hated me. He hated me, mate. He was playing centre back and I was playing right wing. So like, in the first like. First inside first ten minutes, nothing's happening. It's just a pure scrappy game. It's nothing each, and um, like the kind of Rangers left back I was up against, he seemed quite slow, and I just thought, right, I'm going to make a mad run here. I made a run, like caught offside, and Rudy Vata, he just flipped. He just totally flipped. He was like, he was like, what are you doing, number six? What the fuck are you doing? He's screaming at me, man. I was like, oh my god, and I thought he was kind of kidding on, so I was kind of laughing off, and then Rangers get a corner. So I was like standing next to Rudy Vata and he's like, watch your man, watch your man. And I'm like, right, I'm watching him, I'm watching him, watching him. And the guy just like 
peeled away from me and he scored and oh mate I thought I thought he was going to kill me <laughs> that was horrible mate I just wanted the ground to just swallow him up and he just went fucking through me and that was it just the rest of the day just shouting at me that feels so much <laughs> like a dream that was that was like an anxiety dream mate it was yeah. horrible man um, but it was great fun no I mean it was great fun uh, Frank McGarvey was the Celtic manager and uh, he was he took great delight when he found out my surname was McQueer he was just took great delight in slagging me for that that was it the bants that was it mate aye dressing room banter mate aye that was good mate aye I was a bit during the game and all I was um, I managed to get like the break of the ball and I was like just outside the box and I was like right man I'm going to make a surgeon run into the box and I just looked up and I had uh, Bob Malcolm coming towards me for one side and Marvin Andrews for the other and I just went nah (laughs) nah not having it (laughs) just take it boys (laughs) it's not worth it (laughs) Do you think that'll be the end of your charity game days or are you looking at getting higher and higher so you finally get to the UNICEF game at Old oh, Trafford and get aye, to go aye. up against or alongside Gareth Gates? I'll have a place for them. <laughs> I don't know, mate. I don't know. It was good fun. It's the pinnacle of the charity game. I know, mate. I know. That was good fun. I'm just, I'm just not that good. I'm quite comfortable with no being good. But I did. I put in, put in the effort. So. <laughs> I am a 90s lad in terms of when I started going to football mm-hmm. in the decade of your birth mm-hmm. and I want to go through a few of the things I loved about football in the 90s and see if you would like to bring them back because you probably don't remember most of them right, cool. listeners may recognise them from Daniel Gray's book Black Boots and Football Pinks currently available mm-hmm. <laughs> smooth mate smooth. and in fact the first one I'm going to go for is the football pink itself does that mean anything to you if I say football pink what is that again? Is that like the programme or something? It's the Saturday evening right. newspaper that used to have all right, the right, scores. Right. So you'd get it at about half five. Right. And it'd have match report on your team, right. first few cool. pages, pictures from the match, and then every result and wow. score and attendance from across the land on the back. Wow, man. And there were, there were special things. I swear Aye. they were still warm when you got them. Aye. <laughs> so are you voting to bring them back? Yeah, that sounds quite good, eh? I'm, I can imagine you having like a big stack of them in your bedroom I've and you're got, your wee boy, mate. I've got, still got, I've still got Gosh, loads. Gosh, <laughs> <laughs> I had to downsize and my method was, and that Japanese woman would be proud of this, my method was <laughs> to just pull the insides out and I've kept all the covers instead. Oh, I might send her that in case she nice, wants to sell that to for anyone that's got their evening dispatches <laughs> under their bed still. Nice, man. This one is called Ramshackle Dugouts and this is from before dugouts were just like those mm-hmm. annoying oh, car yeah, seats. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Stuff that they were properly dug down, mm-hmm. so that there was always the potential of a manager banging his head. Nice. Would you bring that? I'm not. I'm Aye. not really selling the other side of the Aye. argument very well. Oh, here, when, I, when I played in that charity game, that was done at um, Vale Clyde in Tokros and East End in Glasgow, and they had the proper like, real dugout. Still, dug it. Was brilliant. So that, that was brilliant. Man. Yeah. Aye. Aye. Bring that back. That yeah. Was, that was bring great, it all man. back. Aye. Good. I'm winning. I was, remember, I get subbed off quite early on, and um, I was standing in by these wee. Ramshackle Duggets with Frank McGarvey and Simon Ferry. It was great fun, mate. That was <laughs> That was good, mate. That was a nice wee respite away from Rudivata. Feels like a nice sketch. That was nice, mate. Aye. <laughs> One's called Disorganised Warm-Ups. So the, the days when I started going, players just used to pelt balls at each other <laughs> and do sort of windmill stretches on the halfway line aye. with the leg sometimes up, mm-hmm. um, talking to the, an old teammate of theirs that was playing for the opposition. Mm-hmm. People were just a bit knackered. You wouldn't have been surprised if players had the fag in their mouth as well. Aye, aye, aye. I go now... And it's all these little Hitlers with the stopwatches and the Fitbit <laughs> making them run round cones. Aye. What's all that about? I know, mate, I know. See you see when you see the videos and it's like a man you and do that wee kind of 
what do you call it? Like, kind of, it's like a circle and they're all like, trying to keep I the ball up. And like, what are you doing, man? Just have a fag. <laughs> <laughs> We're definitely going to get a, a managerial duo job out of this oh, mate, podcast. I know. <laughs> Goalkeepers in trousers and hats. I, I've noted a fall off in both. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the hat on a sunny day mm-hmm. was a, a prerequisite and they always were massive hats. Like a, sort of geography teacher on mm-hmm. a, a school trip. <laughs> Bring I loved, him back. I, I love that. I loved watching. When it wasn't in the premiership, it was like... Um, wasn't it match a day? It was the Premiership or something. It was on ITV. It was like Sunday morning had highlights, and um, I always got a wee buzz when I seen like Gabor Kirai and he's like grey joggies. Like, he just looked like a joiner or something. Man. Brilliant! I thought it looked amazing. Absolutely I love that, mate. Aye. It's a nice wee thrill. I got off that. Just more trousers in general. More trousers in football. <laughs> yeah, <aye>. <laughs> God's sake! CFAX and Teletext. I mean, mm-hmm. you presumably remember them. Aye, aye, it's aye. not mm-hmm. that long since mm-hmm. we got rid of CFAX and Teletext. Aye, I remember. I remember checking scores. D- D- on Teletext, right, that's aye. good. We've mm-hmm. crossed the cultural divide. So would you? Because I, I genuinely believe in this one because. If you, I, I've been trying not to look at my phone loads, so mm-hmm. I've been leaving our house is upside down. And I've been leaving, not literally like I mean, like the, ups, the laundry is upstairs. <laughs> I've been leaving my. I didn't need to go right. into that much detail, but I've been leaving my phone downstairs while I'm watching the telly, right, eh? and I'm wanting to see the scores. Mm-hmm. There isn't a really easy way of doing it. Though. I know, man. It's frustrating. So I'm, I'm saying we're bringing CFAX back as well. Aye, man. It's going well. Go into the shop and get the football pink. Yeah, that, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. All of this is it's just not obsolete. I don't know oh, why people good, have said it is. I, know, I always liked that when you check the scores on Teletext and then you would have a quick game of bamboozle. Oh, that was good, mate. That was oh, good. That, the bamboozle, <laughs> man. I used to, I used to find him, him really comforting mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. times of difficulty right. in the teenage years. He was always there. He was there for you, yeah, when nobody else was. And when it finally <laughs> ended, do you know mm-hmm. he had a little teardrop running from his no face way. and put a, pix- a pixel and it would flash on and off like that's the that. saddest thing I've ever heard that's heartbreaking on the wow. last day of teletext oh, then he just that's a shame that's him away disappeared into the ether don't know where he is oh, now RIP. the next one I probably don't even agree with myself because it's highlights videos and I used to get one at the end of each season I'll get it the following mm-hmm. Christmas mm-hmm. The pub, some of mine still have the price tag on the nice. unbelievable prices like £16.49 <laughs> the pre- uh, previous seasons uh, and I still know most of the commentaries off by heart embarrassingly mm-hmm. I found versus YouTube being able to access anything Aye. immediately I think YouTube That's true, man. Wins. I always liked it. I always got a kind of football video like that for my Christmas. And it was, it was you know, David Seaman's top 100 goalkeeping wonders and stuff like that. And um, like a Soccer AM video and that. And I really, I loved them. Aye. Obviously now, like anything you want, like any game for Astley's on YouTube, you can watch your goals. It's brilliant. So It's pretty amazing. It's probably I, I'll, I'll concede one Aye. in the <laughs> opposite of Room 101 style that I seem to have stumbled upon. Well, finally, I want to know about your, your future hopes for the writing career, firstly, mm-hmm. and secondly, do you think you'll be going to Parkhead for life? Is it a life sentence? Aye, man. Um, uh, starting with my writing, I want to. I'm writing. I've written two books of short stories just now, and um, I'm trying to write a novel. So that's my kind of next goal. And then after that, I want to try and break into writing for the telly. Um, I'll be doing some stuff for the radio. Would be good. But like my ultimate goal is to like, um, write and direct a film. That's my. That's my dream. Uh, in terms of life sentence at Celtic Park, I, I probably will be, aye. So, that's good, man, aye. <laughs> I'll be there, mate, aye. 